When the BBF board decided on this some months ago, I felt that we could hardly consider a more appropriate subject for our day. With conditions in the world and in the United States becoming worse and worse, as the Apostle Paul said it would in 2 Timothy 3, true believers' thoughts turn to the Word of God and the promises regarding the Lord's coming. I'm sure that every member of the body of Christ has at some time or other longed for the rapture. I know I have. And I'm sure that all of you have felt the same way many, many times. And I want to say that the rapture could take place this morning. Even before this service is ended, we would all be changed, as our brother Thurman said earlier, and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We wouldn't even have to go through the door. We'd go right up through the roof and wouldn't even make a hole in that nice new roof they have here. How wonderful! And I've often said to our people in Denver, I just wish that the Lord would come while I'm standing in the pulpit. Wouldn't that be great? Right during the service, I just am waiting for that moment. As, as I said, it could be this morning. The, that blessed hope, that's the theme of this week. And as has already been suggested, there, of course, will be a great many overlappings in the messages because this theme is all bound together. And many of our speakers will be stressing some of the same passages, but I'm sure that it uh, will be of real profit for us to hear them again and again during these days. All of our evening messages this week will be on the subject of the rapture, as well as the nine o'clock inspirational hour. And uh, our brethren will develop the truths far more than we're going to do this morning uh, as we consider our text from Titus 2, 14, 2, 13 to be exact. Let's... Uh, turn there, please, and I'd like to read just three or four verses here. Titus 2, starting with verse 11, very familiar. Many of you have memorized this portion. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope. There's a definite article in front of the word blessed there, though the King James says that blessed hope. It's the blessed hope, even the glorious appearing of our great Savior God, Jesus Christ, the revised has it, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke 
with all authority, let no one despise thee or disregard thee. It is our prayer that after leaving this conference, every one of us will leave with a greater desire and a greater sense of urgency to proclaim the gospel of grace and the word rightly divided in view of the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ. First, let's define the terminology. I, uh, in our ministry in Denver, always try to define terms because I know from my own experience and from talking to others that many people sometimes misunderstand the terms. And so we'd like to tell you exactly what those words mean. Blessed hope. The word hope is defined as the expectation of something future, the expected good, a firmly held prospect of future good. Now, you can have hope in many things. We're speaking about the blessed hope. And this word blessed is an adjective which simply means happy. A happy hope. Paul quotes David in Psalm 32 in describing the blessed man. Here we're considering the blessed hope. The word suggests spiritual prosperity. I've heard a lot of preachers say that if you know the Lord and if you live for the Lord, you'll be prosperous financially. Not always true, is it? No, indeed. Some of the poorest people I know love the Lord the most. And so, this is spiritual prosperity. I'll tell you, if we have that blessed hope as our hope, it'll prosper us spiritually. Those of us who study the Bible dispensationally, and I hope all of you do, know that two hopes are set forth in the Scriptures. While Israel had an earthly hope, in other words, heaven on earth, believers in this age have a heavenly hope. Genesis 1-1 suggests these two hopes. In beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as Mr. Stam has so well said in his excellent Bible study material, we have the blessed hope, while Israel had an earthly hope. That's why the Lord told the disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we're looking forward to go to heaven. None of the Old Testament saints ever anticipated going to heaven. I remember when I first saw that. I used to have the idea that everyone who was a believer, whether uh, they lived in uh, Adam's day or in the periods of time since then, all expected to go to heaven. 
No. There is no indication that anyone in the Old Testament, so-called, was expecting to go to heaven. That blessed hope is our hope, members of God's family in this age. And I'm so glad that the Scriptures distinguish between these two hopes. Many people fail to distinguish this. And, of course, this is only added to the religious confusion of our day, especially as it affects our ministry and our service. In our text, there are three adjectives hidden away, and we'd like to consider those this morning. First of all, the blessed hope is an expectant hope. Notice the words, looking for. This little phrase, looking for, is sometimes translated to wait for or to expect. There is an atmosphere of expectancy about the term, looking for that blessed hope. Now, there has been hope for God's people, as I said, in every age. Though Israel and the Gentiles have an earthly hope, the body of Christ has a heavenly hope. You remember in Hebrews 11, we read about Abraham. It says he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. In Luke 2.25, we're told that Simeon, after John the Baptist had made his appearance, looked and waited for the consolation of Israel, of course referring to the kingdom. And in 2 Peter 3, 12 and 13, and you may want to write these down, 2 Peter 3, 12 and 13, believers in the kingdom will also be looking for what? For the day of God. It seems that throughout every age there has been a time and an attitude of expectancy, looking ahead and looking forward to new things from God promised in His Word. And of course, members of the body of Christ are waiting and looking for the fulfillment of that blessed hope. Turn with me to Romans 8, please. I think our brother Thurman referred to these verses this morning, but we'll quickly look at them again in this connection. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. For the earnest expectation, and there's our term, the earnest expectation of the creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. The whole creation, as beautiful as it is, is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Verse 23, believers wait for the redemption of their bodies. 
And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits. That is the Spirit. The Spirit is the first fruits, as you know. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. I remember a dear brother who's with the Lord now who told me that he believed that adoption was entirely future. I don't know whether you hold that or not. It is my view that adoption is like salvation, past, present, and future. And here the Apostle Paul is talking about the future aspect of adoption. The fact that we are going to one day have a new body, as our brother Thurman said. Our bodies are going to be changed. And in verse 25 of Romans 8, But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And so there is a patient waiting for our hope to be consummated. Our brother referred to Philippians 3.20, and uh, I'm going to turn you to that also. You see how the Holy Spirit directs our thinking, and of course this is uh, a part of that blessed hope. For our conversation, and you'll notice the Schofield margin says citizenship. For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, members of the body of Christ are waiting also, as these in other ages waited for God's blessing and for a hope that was particularly theirs. This is not only an expectant hope, but it's a glorious hope. Back again to our text, Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. As most of you know, I hope, the Revised says, the appearing of the glory of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, or our great Savior God Jesus Christ. Again, we want to define the term. The word glory, as it's used here, refers to the majesty which belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, the appearing of that glory is one of three primary words which are used referring to the coming of Christ. Now, I'd like to say that sometimes these words are used interchangeably. I've noticed that some of these definitions in the original word is referring not only to the rapture and the blessed hope of believers in this age, but it also refers to the second coming of Christ in the Revelation. Now, it's well to have a good Concordance. Uh, my favorite concordance, and I'll just throw this in here, is Englishman's Greek concordance. If you don't have that, you ought to get one. I think uh, outside of the Word of God itself, that's my greatest help 
and I refer to it constantly in my study. Englishman's Greek Concordance lists every place where the word is used. And I found out the best way to define a word or a term is to see how the Holy Spirit uses it. You can't always go by dictionary definitions, lexicon definitions. Very often they have defined a word simply by the way it's used in one verse. You need to see how it's used in all of the passages. And in defining a word and getting the scope of Scripture, and too many of the Lord's people and some preachers fail to see the scope, the overall scope of Scripture. That's been a great blessing and a help to me personally. And I've noticed that these words that are used regarding the coming of the Lord are sometimes used interchangeably. One word speaks about the revelation. It's the word that's used in the book of Revelation. And it simply means an unveiling, pulling back the curtain, as it were, revealing what's behind. That is most often used regarding the coming of Christ at the his setting up of his kingdom. While another word that is used especially regarding the rapture, but I see that's also used regarding the coming of Christ to set up the kingdom. It's the word which means simply Christ's presence. And the third word, the one we're looking at this morning in Titus 2.13, the word appearing. Now the word appearing simply means a manifestation. You see, it could be used of either the revelation or the rapture. It means personal visibility. We'll be able to see the Lord when we're caught up to meet him. Used, by the way, only regarding the Lord Jesus Christ in the Pauline epistles, this word appearing. The appearing of the glory of Christ is the visible manifestation of the majesty of Christ. No one has ever seen God at any time. But in that day, we'll see the glory of our Savior God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's notice some of the manifestations of the glory of Christ. Not only is it going to be a wonderful day when we see him at the rapture, but there have been other manifestations of the glory of Christ in the Scriptures. At his birth, for instance, Luke 2.9, let's turn there. Luke. 2 verse 9 speaking about his birth and lo an angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid the glory of Christ at his birth notice the glory of Christ at the transfiguration also in Luke Chapter 9, verse 32. 
But Peter and they that were with him, speaking of those who were on the mountain on that great day, were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him, Moses and Elijah. They got a glimpse of the glory of Christ at the transfiguration. The apostle Paul saw the glory of Christ. Turn with me to Acts 22. We're studying the book of Acts in our midweek service, have been for close to two years now. And uh, in chapter 22, the apostle Paul gives his testimony on the palace uh, stairway, as it were, overlooking that great crowd on the temple grounds. And Paul telling about his experience of spiritual conversion mentions the glory of Christ in verse 11 of this 22nd chapter. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came unto Damascus. The Apostle Paul got a glimpse of the glory of Christ as he was on the way to Damascus on that day. And we read that at the Revelation, and we'll have to go back to Matthew 16 for that, Matthew 16 Verse 27, the Lord tells about the glory that will be seen at his revelation, his coming to set up the kingdom. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. The 24th chapter of Matthew, verse 30. I might just say this regarding Matthew 24. The other day I was working out in front of the house trying to dig around some of our shrubs, and a couple of ladies came by, and I saw by the magazine they were holding in their hand what they were. And uh, usually I don't even open the door when they come. But today I was outside so I couldn't hardly get away from them. And uh, they said hello and I said hello and we started visiting. And I said, well, I'm the pastor of the church down at the corner. And uh, she said, well, are you preaching the gospel of the kingdom? I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> well, she said, you ought to, and she started quoting from Matthew 24. She had her little special handbook there, and uh, she had quite a time finding Matthew 24 first, but she finally found it. And then she started telling me that we ought to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Well, I said to her, I said, you know, I uh, preach the gospel of grace. 
I said the gospel of the kingdom certainly wouldn't be appropriate in this evil age. I said the kingdom which the Lord talked about in his earthly ministry is not happening today. We're not in the kingdom today. Well, you said, that's why we ought to preach the gospel of the kingdom. I said, no. The scripture says that we're living in an evil age and that all men are sinners and that all men need salvation. And salvation has been provided through the finished work of Christ. Well, we went on and on and I got into Romans 5 and a few other passages. We had quite a discussion. But as she left, she said, don't forget to preach the gospel of the kingdom. <laughs> well, Matthew 24, I grant you, is the gospel of the kingdom. But I said to her, I said, you know, Matthew 24 is talking about conditions prior to the Lord's coming to set up the kingdom, and it's talking about the tribulation. And I said, we're not uh, reading into that the hope of believers today. Look with me at verse 30. Let's read verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so the glory of Christ will be manifest at the revelation. Turn over a page to the 25th chapter, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. You and I are not looking for this coming. We are looking for that blessed hope. That blessed hope, even the appearing of the great God, the great Savior God, Jesus Christ. By the way, that is a good text regarding the deity of Christ, isn't it? That great Savior God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The believer's hope of glory or glorification has been anticipated since the Apostle Paul received this glorious truth for the members of the body. Back to Romans, the fifth chapter, please. Romans chapter 5. This is my favorite salvation chapter. When I go to the hospital and deal with people there, and we do that a great deal, very often there are unsaved people in the room. Some of our own folks often are placed in a room with unsaved people. You know, some people never hear the gospel any other time. Weddings, funerals, and when they're flat on their back in the hospital. And it's a great opportunity to give them the gospel. And I 
take every opportunity that I get like this. I usually introduce myself and I'd say, I'd like to read some scripture so all of you can hear in this room. And I very often, if I have any doubt about a person's salvation, whether they know the gospel or not, I usually always read Romans 5. Let me read it, the first part of the chapter. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by the faith into the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. And the word glory and the word rejoice, by the way, then, those two verses, is the same word, rejoice and glory. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. That's a little ambiguous in the King James here. The thought is, hope doesn't disappoint us. This blessed hope will not disappoint you and me as members of the body of Christ. This hope doesn't disappoint us because the love of God is poured out throughout our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. To the eighth chapter of Romans. My, what a blessed chapter. Romans 8, starting with verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Do you know that God looks at us as though we were already in glory? As though we were already in heaven. Talk about security. Talk about assurance. Think of it. That God looks at us today as though we we're already glorified. To them, he also glorified. Just think of it. And in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is a relationship which the prophetic scriptures said nothing about. I've often said that it was wonderful to walk with the Lord when he walked the dusty roads of Palestine in his earthly ministry. It would have been wonderful to reach out and shake hands with him, touch his body, and to listen to his voice and to watch the expression on his face, that would have been wonderful. 
And many people that I've met through the years have said to me, my, I wish I could have been there when, uh, when the Lord was here on earth. I agree that that would have been a wonderful experience, but you and I have even a closer relationship than those who walked with him in his earthly ministry. You and I are not only holding his hand, as the chorus says. I remember when I used to sing that very lustily. But I don't anymore because I realize that I'm a part of his body. A part of him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Never before the body of Christ came on the scene was that relationship made known. And of course, Ephesians 3, 6, turn back a couple of pages. We'll have more to say about this chapter before we're through this week. That the Gentiles, that's you and me, should be or are, the Revised says, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs or joint heirs and members of the same body or the joint body and joint partakers of the promise. Another definite article here. Members of the body, joint partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Joint heirs, joint members, joint partakers. Is it any wonder we have a blessed hope? That relationship surpasses any that the scriptures relate. Second Thessalonians 2. 13 and 14. And I've said to our own people in Denver that here we have the progression of salvation. At least that's my view on these verses. Verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from beginning... It's not from the beginning, because God has no beginning. We, I, I, I trust that all of you know that in Genesis 1, 1, and John 1, 1, and in this passage. It's not the beginning, because that would indicate a specific time. But God is eternal, and the definite article should not be there. Because God has from beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification or the setting apart of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we have the order, I believe, in our salvation. We were first chosen and now we are awaiting the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to turn back to Philippians, the 21st verse of 
chapter 3. I know 20 and 21 go together, but we want to read the 21st verse here. Who shall change our body of humiliation, as our brother Thurman said this morning, that it may be fashioned like unto his body of glory, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue or subject all things unto himself. The transformation of our bodies. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Here we have the word appearing again. And in 2 Timothy 4, 8, Paul gives his testimony regarding this appearing. You remember, this was the last words of the apostle before his martyrdom, the last recorded words, and uh, what a testimony. I have often thought as I've read this portion, wouldn't it be wonderful that if, if all of the Lord's people and all the Lord's servants and all the preachers who preach the gospel could say this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith or guarded the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Notice the definite article in all these places. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Looking for that blessed hope, even the appearing of our great Savior God, Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to turn away from our text for this last thought before we go. Pastor Shriver is going to develop this in detail on Thursday night, the Lord willing. But I just want to touch on it here this morning. This blessed hope is not only an expectant hope, it is not only a hope which we're all anticipating and looking forward to, but it is also a hope which is a glorious hope. And then our last thought, a comforting hope. We turn, of course, to second or rather, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18, which relate that blessed hope in detail. He ends the exposition of events at that time with these words, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I say again that that blessed hope is a comforting hope. I never conduct a funeral service, but that somewhere in the service I read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. And I've said many a time to grieving families and loved ones who've been left behind, that if this passage doesn't comfort your heart, there's nothing that will. 
If you do not have that blessed hope of being reunited with loved ones who've gone on before, and above all, to see the Lord Jesus and be with him, then we have no comfort for you. That is that blessed hope. Romans 15, verse 4. The apostle speaks about the comfort which is ours as believers. Romans 15, verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures might have the hope, that or the blessed hope. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It's a comforting hope. We'll hear more about it on Thursday. Our time's gone and we want to close. Once again, before we close with a word of prayer, let me say this. That blessed hope is expectant, it's glorious, and it's comforting. And it can be your hope. I don't know whether everyone in this room has that hope or not. How could I know? Possibly someone is here who is without hope and without God in the world. Oh, I pray that you may have that hope. And you can have it by believing the gospel that Christ died for your sins and was buried and arose again. And the work is all done. Nothing left to do. And by simply appropriating what Christ has done for you and for me, we can have not only the assurance of sins forgiven, but we can have that blessed hope. If you haven't trusted the Savior personally, I assure you that we'd be so glad to sit down with this book and go over the Scripture with you personally and pray together with you. Perhaps you have questions that we might be able to answer from the Scripture. We'd be so glad to talk with you after the service. Many of our brethren are around here, and we'd be so happy to sit down and go over these things with you and answer your questions if we can. We're going to stand as we are dismissed in prayer. Again, I remind you that if you haven't registered us yet, would you please do that? I said last night that no one will be done for any dues. If you belong to the BBF, you do have to pay a membership fee, which, of course, helps to keep our organization going. But registering doesn't obligate you in any way at all. We'd like to have you get your little badge to wear around the grounds this week if you're going to be here all week.
And even if you're not going to be here all week, if you just came in for the day, would you kindly go back there and register? We'll appreciate it so very much. We'll keep you informed. You'll be on our mailing list, and we'll send you information about BBF doings in the future, the Lord willing. We're going to close in a word of prayer. Remember what we said. If there's an unsaved person in this room and you haven't trusted the Savior yourself, you're not sure you're saved, make it known by coming up this way after the service is dismissed. Instead of going out the door, you come up this way. We'll be so happy to talk with you and help you from the, script, from the Scriptures themselves. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for the minutes spent in the Scripture today. We thank Thee for that blessed hope, an expectant hope, a glorious hope, and a comforting hope. And so we pray that as we leave, we may think on these things. And may our hearts be blessed if we know the Lord. And should there be anyone who is unsaved, may they believe the gospel and trust Christ for themselves. We ask in his name. Amen.